When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Well, we all guessed it was coming. Now, confirmation that the man who has helped transform Liverpool's transfer policy is leaving his role at the football club. Michael Edwards says he's a big believer in change. What's the impact and what credit should go his way for the club's success in recent years? Welcome along to the Red Agenda. That plus Stephen Gerrard's next step in football management. I'm Steve Hoversall, today joined by James Pearce and Stephen Beacom, uh, former sports ed of the Belfast Telegraph. So welcome along, uh, Stephen. James, let's start with yourself. Uh, Michael Edwards will have been at Anfield for, what, 10 years this month, but we know for a few months that he felt it was time for a change. Yeah, I think um, Wednesday just brought confirmation of what we've known for a, a few months, really, was that, that Michael Edwards wasn't going to sign a a new contract at Liverpool that he felt the time was right, not just for him, but for the club to, to have a parting of the ways and for him to embark on a new challenge and for someone else to come in with maybe a new perspective and, and fresh ideas. So, um, yeah, and I think you know, there's been a lot of noises recently and speculation linking him with other jobs. You know, there was you know, Leipzig a couple of weeks ago, then there was Newcastle. And, you know, I, I think I was told that he was, he was just slightly concerned. He didn't want it to look like, you know, he was almost using his contract situation as leverage in some way. So he decided, you know, because he was his mind was made up, he, he wanted it out there. And that led to those public statements on Wednesday. And, um, you know, and obviously Michael Edwards penning his own open letter to supporters, kind of explaining his reasons for stepping down. It was interesting, wasn't it? He barely said a word publicly in, in 10 years at Liverpool. And then, uh, you know, we get a, t- a 2,000-word open letter. But... Um, I thought he um, he came across very well, and it's you know it's not very often, is it, that a sporting director gets to leave on his own terms and gets to leave with the applause of of, of most supporters ringing in his ears. But that's certainly the case with Michael Edwards because you'd have to say he's um, you know he's transformed the club's transfer policy during his tenure. There's been so many more hits than misses, and he played a crucial role in assembling a, a team that that won the the Champions League, the Club World Cup, and the Premier League titles. Yeah, he certainly leaves um, on a high, doesn't he? Right, let's just uh, remind ourselves of how the news was broken. Uh, It was first put out there by The Athletic's David Ornstein, and uh, he was speaking with Mark Chapman on The Athletic's podcast a couple of months ago. Before we go, just tell us about the the lead item in your column, David, this morning, which is to do with Liverpool Sporting Director Michael Edwards. Yeah, it's my understanding, Mark, that Michael Edwards is expected to leave Liverpool next summer. His contract expires at the end of this season and I think conversations have been going on for quite some time about whether it's time to move on. There's nothing hostile to my knowledge at all. Very amicable conversations. He has been absolutely amazing at Liverpool, especially in recent years, in terms of signings, in terms of sales, in terms of contract renewals. 
and he is held up by people within the industry. So this is not my opinion as being the standard bearer, gold standard for sporting directors. He doesn't talk publicly. He doesn't give interviews. He just gets on with his work. He doesn't crave the attention and people at rival clubs who are renowned in this industry for sniping about each other do not snipe about Michael Edwards. So Stephen, welcome along to the uh, the Red Agenda podcast. Um, pretty big news this, isn't it? He arrived at the football club, Michael Edwards, 10 years ago. But for the first four years, I don't think anyone was really too aware of who he was or what his job role was. That's true, Steve. One of the things that I love about Michael Edwards is that he's been so low-key, but he's brought so many high rewards to Liverpool Football Club. And almost, that's like a throwback to the days of yore when Liverpool dominated European football and domestic football. I'm old enough to remember great men like Reuben Bennett, Jeff Twentyman, who, who did all this incredible sterling work behind the scenes. And Michael Edwards, although he's come in with all these new and fresh ideas which have lifted Liverpool to a, a different level alongside the greatness of Jurgen Klopp as a manager and the fantastic players. He's done it behind the scenes. It, it seems to me he hasn't been looking for credit for all the work that he has been doing behind the scenes. And the results have just been staggering. In a time whenever football people are bombastic and they're briefing journalists left, right and centre to try and get their names on in the athletic or in the press or on television, I love the way Michael Edwards went about his business and I'm sure every Liverpool fan will wish him all the best as long as it's not to Liverpool's detriment down the line but um, he's one of those guys that can leave with his head held high. If you think about the transfer policy that he has brought in as James was talking about there it has revolutionised Liverpool Football Club. Let's look back to 1990, the last time Liverpool won the league before Jurgen Klopp brought the title to Anfield. All of the managers that came in since, the mistakes in the transfer market have been bewildering at times. They really have been shocking. Manager after manager, transfer committee after transfer committee has seemingly got things wrong. More wrongs than rights with certain managers. Michael Edwards has come in and his story is just one of almost total success and you don't get that in football nowadays so I'm delighted for Michael Edwards that he's going out in his own terms because I do believe he deserves that I'm a great believer that the most important people at a football club are the manager and the players and that will always be the case but Michael Edwards what he has done for Liverpool shouldn't be understated yeah, in modern day football, the sporting director as well plays such a, a prominent role. He'll probably be remembered as a, a transfer guru, of course. You know, I'm talking about him almost in the past tense. He's going to be there until the end of the season, James. But a world-renowned transfer guru, what has he done so differently to other clubs that work to such great effect? Well, I, th- I thought there was an interesting line in his, in his open letter where um, he talked about, you know, you know, next summer would be shutting down his laptop at the AXA training centre one last time, which I thought was was a little reference to early on in his in his time at Liverpool. He was dismissed by some as a as a laptop guru and someone who just walked around armed with spreadsheets and data and and obviously that kind of image maybe you know persisted with some because you know Michael Edwards never felt the need to kind of go public and have any kind of public profile. It, it suited him to operate under the radar, but I think. 
Michael Edwards' great strength when you speak to people who have worked closely with him over those years it is being able to combine the old and the new. Of, of course, Liverpool place a massive emphasis on data, but it's not. You know, that's you know, that's essentially Ian Graham, the director of research. That's essentially his his department. But there's also a huge amount of football expertise, and it's you know, it's it's that mix, isn't it, of the data, the scouting reports, the character references, the negotiating skills. I think you know that that's the envy of every other club. I think that when you look at the deals he's done in that time. When you think of you know, getting one hundred and forty-two million pound for Philip Coutinho from Barcelona, and that you know that effectively paid for the deals for Van Dijk and Allison, the two most transformative signings in it's certainly in the Premier League era for Liverpool. And um, you know you think about you know Jurgen Klopp held his hands up and said that you know when they were in the market for a wide attacker back in twenty seventeen. Klopp really liked Julian Brandt at Leverkusen and um, that was proving problematic and Michael Edwards was was the one really pushing for Mohamed Salah and saying, you know, you know, everything that we've put together is screaming that this guy is is perfect for Liverpool and, and ready to show that he can hack it in the Premier League despite what happened at, at Chelsea. Then you look, you know, the other end of the scale in terms of, you know, Andy Robertson, you, know, you think of you know, Michael Edwards was integral to that. And, you know, when, when Andy Robertson was signed, people were scratching their heads saying, you know, why on earth would Liverpool go and buy a left back off a team that's just been relegated in the Premier League? You know, you fast forward a few years and he's being rightly lauded as the, the best left back in Europe. And um, so I think, you know, certainly, you know, those negotiating skills have, have been the thing that I think have really set him apart and it's it's not just the players he's brought in it's the ones he's offloaded as well because he has made FSG's self-sustaining business model work because not only has he got players in for the right price but he's he's got some eye-watering sums of money for players that weren't wanted when you think of people like Brad Smith and Kevin Stewart and even Christian Benteke and the list is so long Jordan I Dominic Solanke you know that that is why when you look at it you know Liverpool have achieved all this under Michael Edwards's tenure, I think with a net spend of about between 130 and 140 million pounds, and you know half the Premier League have got a bigger net spend in that period, and I think that puts what he's done in context. Stephen, I'm I'm trying to understand personally why he would want to leave. Is this job one that carries with it a, r- a ridiculous level of pressure? But of course, because we don't see the man as much, maybe we don't understand that as much, and also when we look at the the shape that Liverpool is in, it's full of fantastic players. They've just re-signed a lot of their best talent, but they are of an age that we know will need refreshing fairly soon. So actually, the job and the demands on a sporting director at Liverpool are huge at this moment in time. So why would he want to leave Anfield and leave the project at this point? Well, Steve, we can only really go on his open letter, which was really heartfelt as well, by the way. I thought it was a brilliant way to to leave in many respects and um, a wonderful connection with the fans as well but he did say that um, he couldn't imagine being at Liverpool for longer than 10 years and he's been through to his word there's no two ways about that he obviously wants a new challenge maybe he wants to take a break it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up next because I would say he's the Mo Salah of sporting directors right now in that every single football club on the planet would want a piece of Michael Edwards. In fact, I'd go further. I would say every single sporting organisation in the world would want Michael Edwards. And it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest 
to see if he ended up in another sport because people like Michael Edwards, they love a challenge. And boy, did he get one at Liverpool. And the way he transformed Liverpool was incredible. James has just given outstanding examples of the ins and outs. And I remember the Coutinho one. Like, boys, we know the score here. To get 142 million for Coutinho was like one of the greatest transfer deals in history. And what it has helped Liverpool achieve after that has just been off the charts. It'll be fascinating to see where he ends up next. There is a part of me would love to see him going into a different sport, you know, just to see how he would cope with that. You know what it's like whenever um, someone who's really important to the football club leaves Liverpool, you don't particularly want them to see them go on and become this huge success elsewhere. So um, I don't want to see him go to a Real Madrid or a Barcelona and transform them. I would love to see him. Like, hi, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go to the All Blacks, Michael? Why don't you go to um, as far as possible. So, sorting out the US Open and tennis? Make them the great things that you've made Liverpool Football Club. So um, uh, stay away from the football for now and become um, a sporting giant as well as a, a football giant. Look, of course, as soon as he has gone, it is a case of the king is dead, long, long live the king. And actually, you know, all of a sudden, we're just looking at Julian Ward and going, well, what have you got in your locker? And in terms of having a hard act to follow, this is a case in point, James. Yeah, massive. Um, you know, it is a bit of a step into the unknown, isn't it, for the club, really, in terms of losing Michael Edwards. I think, you know, he's he's rightly been praised for the the huge impact he's had in the success so you can't you shouldn't underplay the significance of of his exit I think what what I would say is that Michael Edwards would be the first to admit that this was this was never a one-man operation and you know there were there were certainly times when you know he would have a you know a, a bit of a chuckle at some of the praise being thrown his way because he knew that it was a very much a, a collective effort and that structure will remain in place you know they and I think that's that's why when you speak to people at Liverpool there's not you know of course they didn't want Michael Edwards to go you know they made repeated attempts Mike Gordon to try and convince him to stay put I think it was only relatively recently that they they finally had to admit defeat that Michael Edwards was adamant that he wanted to 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 embark on a new challenge but yes it's a big step up for Julian Ward but you know the head of recruitment Dave Fallows he's still there the chief scout Barry Hunter, the director of research, Ian Graham, that we talked about earlier, you know, the director of the loan management, David Woodfine. So these are all kind of pivotal figures in the strategy and the process of talent identification and and retention at all levels of the club. And that that won't change going forward. And of course, you know, at the top of the tree, you've got Mike Gordon, who's the ultimate decision maker when it comes to footballing decisions and Klopp himself, who, um, you know, already enjoys a close relationship with Julian Ward. So I think... It's natural that people will question, well, hang on a minute, does Julian Ward have the, the credentials to, to try and live up to to the man who's done so well in that job in the past five years? But I think everything I have hear about Julian Ward is very impressive in terms of the way he's gone about his business. And there are parallels with Michael Edwards in terms of, you know, I, I think he'll he'll be a similar kind of sporting director in terms of not really pursuing a public profile, more than happy to stay out the limelight, more than happy for his his actions to speak louder than his words. And, you know, Michael Edwards was only 37. Let's not forget when he became sporting director, Julian Ward's 40. 
you know, he knows the club inside out. He's worked for the club for nine years now. And you know, starting off as the scouting manager for for Spain and Portugal, then stepping up to the loan pathways, and and then of course, you know, just coming up to a year ago, appointed the assistant sporting director. So it's it's very much been you know it's been a remarkable rise in that period. But you know, he's been given more and more responsibilities season after season really this isn't just like you know a massive leap into the the unknown and you know even between now and may you know he will be there'll be a gradual handover of responsibilities and michael edwards has played a big part in identifying julian ward as his perfect successor fsg are convinced of that as well so you know i, I don't you know, get the impression that this is just a, an easy kind of appointment i think it's because there is you know, a genuine belief that they've they've got the perfect candidate right under their nose and that's why they didn't feel the need to go and recruit externally. He's a football man through and through and it's great that we've got Stephen on as a guest on the Red Agenda because, believe it or not, Stephen saw him actually play. So give us a bit of that previous background on on Julian Ward, Stephen. It's a sensational story, this, boys, I have to tell you. When Julian was younger... He um, uh, decided to come over to Northern Ireland to do a PhD at the University of Ulster in Jordanstown. So he started to play for the university team and he was spotted playing for that team by the then Larn manager, Kenny Shields. Kenny Shields, some of the, the listeners may know from his time as manager of Kilmarnock. He's now the, the Northern Ireland women's team manager. And he's um, uh, been a success in many jobs that he's had. And Kenny spotted this young midfielder with an eye for goal playing for the university team and decided, I'm going to have him. Kenny was manager at Larn at the time. And he decided, you know what, I want this boy on my team. Ironically, though, he couldn't sign him outside the transfer window. So Kenny did a deal whereby Julian ended up at a team called Harland and Wolf Welders. And um, he played there for a few months and then Kenny signed him for Larn in the January transfer window. And Kenny Shields, I was talking to him last night. I've been texting people who played alongside Julian and other people who managed him. And basically the, the, the same things, they're saying the same things about him. He has got an incredible work ethic. He is a fantastic man for the team and wonderful in the dressing room. And he's a good guy. They all said that he was a sound fella and they had a lot of time for him. At Larn, he became very popular in the dressing room. He um, was seen as one of the, the best players at the club at that time. They were a lowly Irish league club then. And um, then he moved to another club called Lisburn Distillery, who um, played good football just like Larn did under manager Paul Kirk. And one story that I heard about Julian, which maybe sums him up in many respects, he was coming back from injury and he played 45 minutes one day. Now, normally in the Irish League, once a match is finished, whether you've played five minutes or 90, the first thing that players were thinking about back in those days was getting into the, the clubhouse or the dressing room and thinking, right, where's my paint? But what, would, what did Julian Ward do? Julian Ward, after he'd played his 45 minutes, decided to do a 15-minute training session on his own out in the pitch. Now, that might happen nowadays, but it didn't happen back in 2005 and 2006, boys, believe me. So um, that tells you a lot about Julian Ward. He is, from what I'm told, 
a person who wants to improve himself, improve the people around him, and he does it in a classy fashion. Now, after this is this is where it gets really weird because an Irish league player then ended up at the World Cup in 2010 in South Africa, and it's really bizarre this because Carlos Queiroz, who was the Portugal manager, and of course you'll know him from being a number two with um, Alex Ferguson, he got in contact with Julian and asked him to become part of Portugal's scouting network. And that's where his star started to really shine, because he did fantastic work for Portugal. Then Manchester City came calling. He was actually at Manchester City when they won their first Premier League title, the Sergio Aguero moment. And then Liverpool decided that this is the man for us. And now look at Julian. So from going, he's played from Larne and Lisbon Distillery, two Irish league clubs. And now this guy is one of the most important and influential people in world football. And that tells you that this is a guy who wants to improve. And I'm certain that he will be determined to improve the team around him. And he will want to hit the ground running. What better way to do it than getting Mo Salah a new contract? That would be a pretty impressive statement, wouldn't it? So I think Julian will be looking to do that. And of course, he will be looking to bring in high-class players over the next few transfer windows. I think Michael Edwards will, will try and nail that one down before he leaves, won't he? Um, look, that's the entire potted history on, on, on Julian Ward. I think there's the short-term work with the squad and refreshing them, James. But actually, the other notable thing about Julian is that he is going to be the man who will be leading decision-making on Jurgen Klopp's replacement within three years' time, you'd expect. Yeah, I think when, when you look at his in-tray, it could be viewed as quite daunting. I think you mentioned there, you know, Klopp's successor, that is obviously, you know, a longer-term thing. I think at the moment it doesn't appear likely that, that Klopp will stay beyond his current deal in the summer of 2024. So, you know, that is absolutely huge, isn't it, getting that right? But I think between now and then, there's definitely a kind of appreciation in the club that, you know, this squad has to kind of evolve and and be refreshed, really. I think it's, you know, because of the, the quality of this team and I think probably the impact of COVID, um, it has been, you know, a relatively quiet few windows in the transfer market. But certainly last summer, there was, you know, there was a there was a kind of a, a feeling that, that would need to change in the in in the next couple of years. That you know, you look at the front three, um, you know, by next summer, you know, Salamani, Firmino will all be in their thirties. You look at the squad and you think there will need to be reinforcements. So there's, it's almost like that process of, you know, the the one great team that won the biggest prizes with with the Klopp Edwards combination. It's now really in the next, well, certainly three. Well, it'll be two years, won't it? That, that Julian Ward gets to work with Klopp. It's that it's that process of trying to mould and, and build another great team. So um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of work to be done, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether whether Mo Salah's future does end up in his intrigue. You know, of course, we all hope, as Stephen said, then it would be nice if if Michael Edwards' parting gift was to was to get that sorted and a new four or five year deal for for Mo Salah before he goes. But you know, if not. You know that is going to clearly be one of the biggest things landing in his lap next summer. The fact that you know you, if it's not sorted out between now and then, you've got that very very difficult situation where you could have Mo Salah going into the last year of his contract, and then you know what do you do then? You know there's a huge decision there in terms of if if you can't get him to sign a new one, 
you, you run the risk of losing him for for nothing in 2023. So um, so yeah, I think obviously it's you know it's it's, it's six months ahead where um, he'll be working closely with Edwards. He you know he, he still won't be the the absolute main man, but um, you certainly don't look at what's on the horizon and think it's a nice gentle introduction to life as a sporting director. But you know clearly. You know, FSG have done their done their homework. They know exactly what they're getting, and they believe he's the the best man for the job. Final word on it, Stephen. I, I can't remember a, a sporting director, a director of football, leaving on the, with such a fanfare. I know they normally are pushed out the door and mm. sacked, and um, fans are having a real pop at them. But um, that just shows you the measure of the man that Michael Edwards is and it shows the measure of the job that he has done at Liverpool Football Club. And he's not finished yet. He um, has to go in in the summer. So um, I'm certain that he'll be working very, very hard behind the scenes. Wouldn't it be fantastic if they got Mo Salah tied down though? That would be the dream ticket for Edwards and Julian Ward if they could deliver that together. Listen, I just want to wish Michael Edwards all the best because he has been a key figure in Liverpool's remarkable turnaround to become champions of Europe, champions of England and champions of the world. He deserves to go out with the fanfare that he has received since the news broke earlier this week. Listeners, we've got a very small favour to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there, so we need to know what you like and what we can do better. We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now, we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk Thanks. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Gerard. Nice strike. Right, this is the Red Agenda and uh, breaking news today is that Steven Gerrard has been officially appointed as the head coach of Aston Villa Football Club. So I don't think it comes as a massive surprise. He's achieved great things at Rangers. He's making brilliant strides as a manager and now he's dipping his toe in the Premier League, James. Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic move for him and I think he's ready for it. We all know that Steven Gerrard's long-term 
target and dream is is to manage Liverpool Football Club. And I just think this is another significant stepping stone to to that becoming a reality. You look at the way in which he's made that transition into management. I thought he was very smart initially going down the academy route at Liverpool and the experience that that gave him. You know, he, he was inundated with jobs. I thought he, he was very careful in the way that, that, that he kind of took took those steps. And then, you know, you, you can only say good things about what he did at Rangers. You know, the fact that, you know, he, he put them back at the top of Scottish football and, you know, he, you know, he never really had much money to play with. And I think that was probably a frustration in terms of when you're looking to, to really kick on and especially, I think, on the European stage. And I think it probably... It just gives him a, a much bigger platform, you know. As as you know, of course, Rangers are a big club, but you stay at Rangers for a long time, and they would have, I think, certainly in in, the, in terms of when we come to discuss potential Klopp successes in twenty twenty four, I just feel as if there would have been that kind of no matter no matter what he did in the next few years at Rangers, there would have been that nagging feeling of oh, how does it compare, you know, to to you know because you know it, it has essentially been a two horse race in Scotland for so long, and I just think. You know, coming back south of the border, of course, it suits him better. I'm sure on a on a personal level. You know, he's still got his family home in in Formby in Merseyside, and it's back in the biggest league in the world. And it, it's at a club where, you know, I I think it's probably as big a job as as he could have dreamt of at this stage in terms of you know when you look at the fan base and the stadium and the finances that Villa have got. I just think it gives him that opportunity to to kick on again. The same for his staff that will come down with him, people like Michael Beale and Jordan Milsom and, and Tom Cassidy. And suddenly you're looking at the fixture list and remember that Aston Villa are coming to Anfield on December the 11th. And um, that would you know, be a strange one, won't that's it? Gonna be. It's um, so, seeing Stephen in the away dugout will be just really, really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, you won't be able to get a ticket for that. that that's no, going to be a show no. in itself. No, I mean he's he's guaranteed the you know, probably the the best reception a visiting manager managers ever had at Anfield, and um, you know, I actually remember going to Villa Park a number of years back now when he was in the in the away end. There can't be too many Aston Villa managers who have watched Aston Villa games from the away end at Villa Park before. So um, I'm delighted for him. I think he's you know it's it, he didn't take the easy option, did he, when he went into management? You know, you he he did it because he's incredibly driven. And I think everything I've seen so far from him is he made me even more convinced than I was when he was a player that he would go on to be an outstanding manager, and hopefully one day an outstanding manager for for Liverpool Football Club. And I think this is this is a, a another step towards making that happen. Although this is no easy challenge, Stephen. Look, there'll be some heavy Rangers hearts um, this morning. Of course, he's been brilliant for them. He'll, he'll go down as a managerial legend. He's got to do it all again at Aston Villa. I suppose the, the plus side is everything James mentioned. Country's second biggest city, massive fan base, brilliant stadium, great youth academy. He's got all the structure around him, but nonetheless, the pressures are different in the Premier League. Without question. Um, first of all, we should pay tribute to the job that he did at Rangers. Rangers Football Club were a complete and utter mess when he became manager at Ibrox and what he has done is give that football club its soul back he didn't just bring uh, the league title to Rangers he took them away from embarrassment because that's what the club had become in many respects um, under previous managers and obviously all the financial issues that they went through and Jared, on a global scale made Rangers huge again and 
he did that by sheer force of nature in many respects and also by bringing in incredibly talented people like Michael Beale. I talked to Stephen Davis, the Northern Ireland captain, quite a bit and um, he would tell you that Stevie G has grown immensely in the Rangers job over the past three seasons. It was a tough gig to go into, there's no two ways about that, but Jared, he always had that aura about him. His man management skills have improved dramatically over the past 18 months. And I think it's a fantastic appointment for Aston Villa. I don't think it's a good one for Rangers because let's face it, boys, in terms of the global name that Jared has around the world, are Rangers ever going to get a better and bigger manager than Stevie G? Time will tell. But uh, I think there'll also be a little bit of sadness and annoyance, I have to say, because it is mid-season. Rangers are in the middle of a big league title battle with Celtic. Anyone who's ever been up to Rangers or Celtic to watch the old firm knows the, the fervour, the passion, the desire, the hate that goes on in Glasgow. And it's a goldfish bowl. And um, Jared has come out the other side of that goldfish bowl. He was asked by Rangers to stop Celtic winning 10 titles in a row. So he delivered on that. And now he goes to Aston Villa. And basically his requirement there, I would suspect, is to get them into Europe. I think when you look at the squad, there's lots of talent there. I thought Dean Smith did a fine job, and you could say he was harshly treated. But now Villa want to move on to the next level, and the next level for them is to get that European spot. I imagine he will be given money to spend in January and certainly next summer. And I can't wait for that match at Anfield. I was at George's last game, and I'm sure you two were as well at Anfield. And it was an emotional experience. I can vividly remember the last five minutes of that football match. And people all over that ground at Anfield were thinking, my goodness, this is the last time we see this iconic figure play in our stadium. And now he's coming back next month. And as James says, can you imagine seeing him in the away dugout? That is going to be so strange. Like When I think of Liverpool Football Club's greatest ever players, two come to mind. King Kenny and Stevie G. Kenny obviously came back with Blackburn and um, won a title. I was there that day whenever the cop chanted his name after Blackburn won the league title. And I'm certain that the cop will be chanting Stevie G's name. But we have to think about our heads rather than our hearts. And let's hope Liverpool tank Villa 4 or 5 nil. Another point about the whole Villa thing is this. I reckon that Stevie G sometimes goes in gut instinct. He did when he was a player, and he has done here as a manager. And he has got great memories of Villa Park, not just whenever he's, when he supported Liverpool in the away end, but I'm certain that you guys will recall, he played brilliantly at Villa Park. He scored some stunning goals. You'll remember that last-minute winner from a free kick, and that instinct will have told him, this could be the right club for me. And I hope he's a huge success. And I do hope, I'll make no apology for saying it, I genuinely hope that Gerard does well enough that he becomes the next manager after Jurgen Klopp because that would be something to see. Imagine how many Villa shirts there's going to be with Gerard on the back. It's going to be a <laughs> little Interestingly, bit... Interestingly, he did, he did actually score more goals against Villa than against any other opponent. That's, Thir- that's 13. Absolutely. Only Everton comes close to that. He got 10 in Merseyside derbies. So I think... I think you're spot on there, Stephen. I think it definitely he's got happy memories of Villa Park. If you're a Villa fan, James, do you have any mixed emotion in the sense that 
Villa under the ownership of Wesines and Nassif uh, Sawiris. I've got a lot of money and I've got a big project and they're determined to put them back amongst the elite. But of course, the narrative and the conversation, Gerard almost can't win. Doesn't matter how well he does, he will always be the Liverpool manager in waiting. Um, but then I think, I guess maybe there might be some Villa fans with, with that in the back of their heads. I think the majority will think, well, the only way Steven Gerrard becomes Liverpool manager in just under three years' time would be if he does a magnificent job for Aston Villa. You know, football's become so much about short-termism. You know, not many managers last more than three years in a job now anyway. So I think if Steven Gerrard is going to take over from Jurgen Klopp, then that will mean that Aston Villa have been successful between between now and the summer of 2024. So they, they benefit from that. And there's no guarantees that will happen. You know, there's a... Football changes so so fast. It's a possibility. I think you you know you'd have to say currently that that Pep Linders would would be in the frame in terms of when it came to discussing a successor for Klopp. I mean, you only similar to what we were talking about earlier with the sporting director. You know, Liverpool do always talk about looking within for solutions initially. They certainly did that, obviously, with Julian Ward replacing Michael Edwards, and and you know Pep Linders is someone who. Is, is massively respected as a very knowledgeable and, and shrewd operator. So it's not absolutely nailed on that Steven Gerrard will be the next Liverpool manager. I, th- I just think for, for Aston Villa fans, I think this is exciting. I just think, you know, with Steven Gerrard, you're getting 100% drive and commitment to make that club better every single day. You know, he, he manages the way he plays. He doesn't, he can't do half-hearted, you know, his... It's either all or nothing with Steven Gerrard. And I, th- and I think when you look at Villa, I mean, I felt really sorry for Dean Smith because he'd done a, done a great job there. And it did feel like, you know, wow, you know, did he really not have more credit in the bank than that? Than what was it, five straight defeats and he was out on his ear. But I think the other thing with it is you look at that squad and they're only going one way. You know, it's, it's not like you're walking in and you're thinking, wow, how do I manage to keep them at this level? You know, I think that they're 16th in the Premier League at the moment. They're only a couple of points above the relegation zone you know he'll get them back into the top half quickly and it's just going to be intriguing to see how that one pans out and we thought the international break was going to be quiet boys uh, thank you very much indeed if you want more on Gerard, you, you want more on that new job at Aston Villa you want more on Michael Edwards just head to, head to the Athletics some brilliant articles on there my thanks to Stephen Beacom uh, making his debut on the Red Agenda we'll have you back sometime Stephen thank you very much Uh, and James Pearce as well as always and we'll see you next week for another Red Agenda Red Agenda